Welcome to The Old World Lives, a Warhammer Fantasy Battles podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Old World Lives, on Instagram at The Old World Lives, and you can reach us by email at theoldworldlives at gmail.com. And now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of The Old World Lives, a Warhammer podcast. I'm just losing more and more words every time I say that, but that does not really matter. With me tonight, I have the usual standby, Niklas. Hello. And, with, and alongside Niklas, I have someone that just shows up every now and then, and that isn't Krell, and that is Jens. Hello. And we actually have a guest tonight, which is kind of unusual, but uh, we found some kind of mystical creature on the internet and... Invited him in. Hello there. I will introduce myself then. This is Mr. Lamatastic on Twitter, but you can call me Luke because it's much quicker to say. So who are you, Luke? Tell us about yourself. Okay, are you, you're asking me to drop my creds now. Is that what it is? You're, you're gauging who is this guy? Why the hell should we listen to anything he has to say? Exactly so. Right, okay. So I have been hobbying for a very long time, from a very tender young age, and I started off uh, in 40K, as most people tend to do because of guns, bombs, and aliens. But I quickly abandoned that for fantasy because, number one, like me a bit of chess. Number two, like me some flags. And in fantasy, I could just keep on seeing big old lines of armies with flags waving everywhere. So I jumped the fence over to fantasy and stuck with that for a very long time. Is that uh, where 40k lost you when they lost the, the back banners? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm a big fan of the old back banners, and when it came to the moulded plastic ones, I would put those on absolutely everything. But you cannot, you cannot compare a back banner to a lovely, great, big, flapping regimental standard. You can't do it. So I, I jumped the fence over to that, and uh, when it was like the tail end of sixth ed, uh, I actually joined Games Workshop, and I worked for them during 7th ed and into 8th ed and a certain campaign at the end of 8th ed that I won't mention by name because it's very upsetting to me and that was about the time that uh, I left the company there. Uh, Then I just hung around on the internet looking for any and all chances to talk about Warhammer and I just like getting excited about toys on the internet really. (laughs) That's why we're here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think everyone who's been listening to this uh, podcast uh, for for some reason, 39 episodes. I can't believe it's 39. It's, uh, I reckon we like to talk about toys on the internet as well. <laughs> so, gents, since it's been ages since you were on, have you done anything in the hobby? Uh, does buying stuff count? Fair enough. What have you bought? Good enough, yes. Yeah, I bought a, a Witch Hunter Mordheim Warband for like really cheap. So that's basically all the fantasy shopping I've been doing. But I'm painting up some some Empire Spearmen right now, doing a, a Soland army. Nice. For the upcoming uh, Three Emperors campaign, if they set it in the early Three Emperors timeline. Yeah. We'll see. We think it's going to be early 2200s. So you're yeah. going might be a smoldering ruin at that point. Yeah, so this is probably going to be like a, a Solon noble who has yeah. uh, a claim to the Solon throne. Yeah. And he's got his personal army trying to reclaim his birthright. 
Yeah, and maybe maybe an inherent prejudice against Vissenlanders who are seeking. Oh yeah, his beloved homeland. Most, Fuck him. Uh, most hipster of provinces. Yes. Oh yeah. Heard of Solan? <laughs> yeah. Actually, it doesn't exist anymore. So but I've liked it since seventeen oh seven. So what you're you're saying is, uh, best case scenario, you have an army that you're ready to play straight on in when the the old world hits, so to speak. And worst case scenario, you have a cool new thematic empire army. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. So I'm uh, I'm just using I've got a fuck ton of spearmen and handguns lying around, so I'm just going to do the spearmen now and wait and see if there's uh, if it's in uh, the 2200s, it should be fine to use uh, handgunners. But uh, we'll see when we get the official date. I mean, twenty hundred. Uh, yeah. Well, we know. Yeah. Well, well, based without actually having anything confirmed, we can, with some certainty, say it's at least twenty two oh one because we saw that King Lewin Orkslayer was. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, He's the set, king of Bretonia. And setting it leading up to the great uh, war against chaos is quite a good setting as well. Yeah, that's pretty good. More handgunners for me. Yeah. Hashtag Kislev Ascendant. (laughs) (laughs) You just want those uh, polar bears uh, dragging around siege mortars, don't you? That's the opposite of what I want, but um, I'm really looking forward to it. The big, the big bombard cannons on sleds. I don't think it's too, too much. But I would probably, uh, in the video game things that we've seen, they've got that big old lump of magic ice underneath it. If that's uh, optionally removed on the model, I would absolutely remove that. Um, maybe just have like slid runners or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a bit too much uh, magic cannon. Yeah. Magic for the sake of magic. Yeah, it depends yeah. on the army. Like if it was uh, like a snow-themed army, like I guess most will do. So mm-hmm. it's a regular side would be cool. Or just uh, put wheels on it if it's a summer army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's basically everything I've been doing. Just uh, beginning to paint a, an empire army, and uh, I bought some witch hunters. And that witch hunter warband was quite a find. Yeah, the... it was like a third of the price uh, yeah. of the usual eBay yeah, well, eBay findings. About a about uh, 170 euros, so 150 pounds usually. Yeah, yeah, and I got them for what 50 pounds. Nice. That's what I got my my kiss of warband for. Sometimes. Yeah, nice. That's the. Yeah. So, Nicholas, have you been doing any dark elves? Loads. <laughs> well, as soon as I got them off your hands, I used to like dug into this box of treasures and just uh, started doing well, everything at once. Uh, I assembled some corsairs first and painted ten up, um, just to get like a unit painted to to test the scheme, which I'm pretty happy with. And uh, now I'm actually assembling some Dark Riders for on, well, I'm not going to say today, but in two days, um, we're going to play some combat patrol with some guys in town that used to play mostly eight or haven't played in a while uh, or haven't played at all. So I'm going to show them how sixth edition fantasy works. Cool. Nice. Yeah. I've actually been doing hobby. Righty. <gasps> yeah. Well, I finished the snake I talked about last time. It's on the, <laughs> it's on our Instagram, and I finished my uh, Mordheim rat ogre made out of bits and rat ogre. Progress. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and right I'm. Before you with that blood ball rat ogre. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Well, he's no. holding like a, a green ball. Oh, interesting. Mine is swinging what could be a chandelier 
in there on a chain, which is infinitely better. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm also working through upgrading the paint scheme on my Skaven Warband that uh, had some uh, mixed luck against the uh, gens last time we played, or the only time we played Mordheim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the giant rats, perfect unit in that army. army. The rest just, yeah, can I just replace them with giant rats. Yeah, giants, giant rats are awesome. They're so cheap. Yep, and I'm currently working on a sea guard, which is nice. I painted one sea guard while Nicholas painted ten, which is uh, about uh, the speed I'm painting at. Well, progress is progress. Indeed, it's more progress than I've done most of this year, so... Looks really good as all. Well. Take your time. Thank you. And Luke, have you been doing anything fun in the hobby lately? So, yeah, for, for the duration... Oh, that isn't a steam tank. Yeah, well, don't. I'm, I'm having thoughts about getting even more steam tanks. I'm trying. I'm trying to resist. Do it. So, for the duration of this year, I've been working on my Empire Army from the proud city-state of Nuln. So, more guns than you can shake a stick at. Tanks and generally anything that goes boom. Uh, that's been going on for, for all this time. But as we are recording in the month of October and the October challenge for the podcast was to do something spooky, I down tools and I've just completed a rather large spooky windmill terrain feature, which has got me thinking about doing Mordheim again. Mm. All the crazy war bands that I haven't done yet but I've had ideas for. So I've been uh, bouncing around ideas from people on the internet, coming up with just things that I could possibly kitbash or convert to put things together. There's been, there's been some good suggestions. I've, I've been thinking, first and foremost, of maybe doing a non-sewerjack band based on uh, the guys in the second Godrick and Felix book, Skaven Slave. Oh, that would be cool. Nice. So maybe guys with like lanterns and torches and whatnot, but then you've got your big bruiser guys, guys with clubs, th- things like that, uh, wearing some rat pelts by their waists and stuff like that. That's that's the main idea I'm tinkering around with. Sounds awesome. Then you have the uh, Warhammer Day Vampire as well, the theme song yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like most of us, I reckon that would be the center of a lot of warbands. Yeah, I like the um. So the whole the whole outfit is great on that vampire. For for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, yep. So Warhammer Day coming up, and Warhammer community posted that they're going to be doing yet another Primaris Lieutenant. They're going to be <laughs> for that one, but yes. they've announced <laughs> that they're going to be doing a vampire hero, and it's kind of like a slender lady version of Manfred von Karstein, with a nice big. Uh, cape bit no not not the cape the bit that goes around the back of the head with the spikes coming up the top she's got some of that but she's got the bald look with the little fangs coming down the front and that that was announced one day after i thought oh, i might might do some more mordheim <laughs> it was just announced the next day it's also a bit reminiscent to the old conrad von karstein miniature the one with the two swords in there yeah the outfit the outfit yeah the armor yeah 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 that's really cool. I just had to check out the Primaris Lieutenant, and it's it's so disappointing compared to the Vampire. I predict that the Primaris Lieutenant looks like nearly every other Primaris Lieutenant. Yeah, he's a Blade Guard Lieutenant this time. And he's a, <laughs> he's, he has a similar pose to the 
captain that was in uh, Indomitus, but it's a smaller shield. So it looks like he has the my first shield, baby's first shield, that kind of shield. Yeah, I mean, I take the piss and everything, but we was talking on uh, one of the internet communities I'm on for hobby stuff. Uh, name drop, that's The Hobby Room. You can look them up on Twitch. But uh, yeah, so I was talking to them and everything, and people were saying, oh, disappointed with the new Primaris Lieutenant and everything. And I said, not that I know anything about 40k much these days, but I know that there are game formats where you would have a small kill team or like a little combat force or anything like that where you might want, it's like 40k version of Mordheim, where you'd want each character to be a little bit more exaggerated, a little bit more heroic. So maybe things like that, you could end up having a squad of lieutenants all doing different things. Possibly. Well, it's not that bad of a miniature, but compared to the Exo Sigma one. It's just that they release them all the time. Yeah, they could have done anything other than a Primaris Lieutenant. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, well. Speaking of the hobby room, uh, you did an interview with us in what was it, April now. It was around that sort of time. Yeah, you guys graciously answered my long-winded questions, which we posted on their blog site. Yes, I think we even linked to that uh, blog post, um, at least Facebook. Maybe, yeah. But we, uh, we talked about... Uh, things that we might like to see in the upcoming The Old World game. And we talked about uh, things that when we thought that perhaps they might cherry pick from different editions, which bits would we like to carry forward and which bits would we like to discard? And based on some of the things that we found out in that Warcom post with the Square Bases and Kislev post, a lot of our stuff that was kind of on our wish list actually came to pass didn't it yeah and uh, the the thing about just making the best edition and not just taking eighth edition and upgrade exactly. it or tweak yeah, it yeah yeah that holds a bit of promise one uh, one thing i put in that post just just as a little bit of a tease was i was asking yourself and uh, jimmy which which things would you like to leave out and both of you said, you know, horde, horde formations. We don't, we shouldn't uh, do that kind of thing. And beside where you guys were both saying horde formations, I posted a picture of Jimmy's horde of night goblins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Putting him on the spot. <laughs> on the other hand, that uh, horde formation of goblins has not the best track record against Jensen. He's exploding uh, Hellblaster. It cleans out. It's it's one thing with hordes of goblins, and it's another with hordes of greatswords. Yeah, yeah. Also, I like yeah, as uh, one of Jimmy's answers was, he was a big fan of the zero to one limit on things to in, enforce the idea that something is either more powerful or literally rarer. I mean, you've got rare choices, obviously, but even some of those special choices, while they're not as powerful as something you might find in a rare choice slot they are nonetheless quite rare or the rarity through being elite like a great sword unit the the general whatever he's only going to have one bodyguard unit so that zero to one limit makes sense yeah i think you'll find out when you play games worship games for a while that uh, like the points costs are just half of the like the equalizing factor of games Things that cost the same thing are not always going to be evenly matched. So you have to have some kind of other limitations on, on the game. Yeah. But it is also a bit sad when the best, so to speak, in quotation marks here, units in an 
army, like you see Phoenix Guard or Black Guard for Elven factions respectively, uh, you, you won't take them because there are in a competing slot, even though they are 0-1 and they are the best of the best in the fluff, they're quite yeah. useless in the game. I sense, I sense a segue coming along here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could all just uh, remove the small uh, limitations of them and have them as core. No, um, <laughs> that was not what I was going to say. It is, uh, I think they, Dota 1 is a good limitation, and as you said, with uh, making them feel more special, like a bodyguard unit. Yeah. But uh, they have to fill us uh Fill a slot in the game, not only as a fluffy thing, if you want to have them competing at, at stuff that they can actually do things. Yeah. But they do look cool, those units. Yeah, I think it's very hard to get like the force organization just right with every unit. Yeah. And I reckon a few units are just there to reinforce the theme. And uh, they're important as well for that very reason. But uh, let's talk more about the old world post before we get yeah. to the yeah. in. What are we talking about? The latest post that concerns the border princes being included in the old world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was, at least for me, I figured, I found it a bit interesting and just surprising that they were actually doing a focused article on just the border princes. Yeah. But I really like it. Me too. Yeah, I think I think there isn't there is enough in that area of the world that you could sink uh, not only uh, an army book because how can one army book cover uh, anything that could go on in the border princes, but more of a a source book, a campaign setting kind of style book that you could uh, even draw things from other armies like a Tilian list, an Estalian list, Bretonian, Imperial, whatever, and make them border princey even with mercenary units and stuff like that and customize your leaders to have different traits are they barons are they bandits are they merchants things like that and to give them uh, different abilities and things like that in the games would be cool definitely i know we've been talking about that in the podcast before because we have all been playing the heresy setting for years and years and those books are a bit like that. When you have one book that you can build on with the next book, that you can build on with the next book, and that would be maybe be a good way to have it here for all of the things you could ally in to a Border Princess Force. Yeah, it's just so crazy that everything they they release is like they show one small part of the, the map, and you're like, oh yeah, I could base a whole game around that. Like the first pictures they show with the the Empire Promises and the time with three emperors, and you go like, oh, is this gonna be like an entire game about just that thing. No, here's a map of Kislev. And also, here's Cathay. And also, here's Border Princes. Oh, and mm. did we mention the elf colonies on the coast? Yeah. Like, it's so many things. Like, you, I have no idea what the, the game is actually going to be like. So, in, in this post that we got on Warhammer Community, we end up with a picture of the Border Princes, so south of the Black Mountains, in between there and encompassing a little bit of the Badlands. And across the entire map, there are a number of shields with heraldic devices and what we assume to be house names above those shields. At the top east, like northeast of the end, we have a sanguine-coloured chalice on a black field that is labelled Harkon, which certain members of the Old World Lives podcast team must be happy about. 
and uh, that's a that's an established character in the fluff. It has been mentioned. It has been mentioned. <laughs> and then what you've got is a number of other shields with very uh, distinctive sounding names, which identify where these people might come from, where the prince's heredity is, or where their people's heritage may come from, and everything, with some you know identifying uh, imagery on the shields. And above each is a name that we presume belongs to that house. We've got one that people have been uh, having a little bit of fun with, the uh, Frenchy-sounding Gaston for a uh, Bretonian one, and we have what seems to be some sort of Kislevite exclave called Uvetosk. And I have spotted a very little, a little Easter egg to do with this, and I've gone all through the Twitters, and I can't see anyone that spotted this very same Easter egg, so I would like to share it with you now, if I may. Sure. Okay. <laughs> So, back in 2006, for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition, there was a supplement called the Renegade Crowns, which was uh, how you could set up a campaign to have an adventure in the Border Princes, and you would set up different settlements and everything like that so that you can uh, uh, pretend that you are having these border conflicts and your fiefdoms and everything like that. At the back of that book... In Appendix 1, Border Prince Names, there are randomization tables for rolling the names of settlements. And the guys at Games Workshop have used that table to <laughs> the names of these places. Every single one of them has followed the randomization roll table. So you've got the Imperial one, the Kislevite one, the Italian one, the Italian one, the Bretonian one. And I love it. I think it's brilliant that they've used this, uh, this resource from back in the day to generate these places. Because they did, they've announced that there's there's no way you can pin down exactly what settlements and who's owning what in the princes because it's going to change from day to day. It's just supposed to be a snapshot. But I just love that they've used that from, from their uh, existing fluff. Mm -hmm. That's, That's a great find. Cool. That's such a great find. Yeah. Uh, well, well spotted. I mean, you... It, it helps if uh, if you're just some sort of Warhammer obsessed hermit that doesn't go out. <laughs> to be fair, hasn't that been most of us the past year and a half? <laughs> did you know it straight away, or did you have like mm. a, a going through the books moment? It was the name Uvetovsk that jumped out at me. The other ones, I thought, oh yeah, fair enough. And uh, Akilena for the uh, the Tilian one there. Those were the ones that jumped out at me. I went, hang on a second. I've <laughs> before and then i start going through all my pdfs riddles in the dark <laughs> nice well well spotted uh yeah would be really cool to, to play like a kiss of enclave down there i have to rebase my whole army from snow to uh, badlands just call it the white badlands uh, grass just uh, the dust dust the bones or have the have the table just be Badlands or a grass mat, and use just your snow bases and say it's the witch that does it. <laughs> That's true. Weren't there a, uh, a Tomb King symbol on this map as well? Yes, there are a number of little ones. There are a number of little tomb icons around there. Because hearkening back to that very same uh, Warhammer roleplay thing, when you were generating what was going on in the, in the the Border Princes, there was the ability to roll Kemri uh, monuments and dwarf ruins and, and things like that all over the place to reflect the idea that the Empire of Kemri would have pushed that far 
and then recede it afterwards, leaving leaving stuff behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of the border princes were a part of the Northern Camry Empire at one place. Uh, there's a book called Night of, Night of the Demon that is set in uh, the Border Princess, uh, where which is the follow-up on Day of the Demon, and the two main characters uh, and uh, a few tagalongs actually enter a tomb of the, I think he was the commander of the armies in the, the Border Princess, and he's been chaos corrupted. Spoiler, but he was a tomb king. Nice. Yeah, they they pushed all through uh, like sit on that map, but it, like it looks like they pushed all through the the Blackfire Pass and up to uh, to uh, Taelia. Yep, sure did. And there's like barrows still there, which is a great theme for an army as well, like a Tomb King's army that's based on the more northern armies. And then you have uh, what looks like it's burning, uh, the Elven enclave of Tor Tor Anrock. Oh yes, I love to see it. Yeah, there's uh, there's not many elves <laughs> left elf from that place. <laughs> yeah. there, is it two elves still alive left from that place? There's every now and then uh, a little unit of shadow warriors sets up residence there, don't they? Okay. Yeah. But then you have the Citadel of Myrmidia. That could be interesting if you wanted to do some kind of Night of the Blazing Sun army theme, perhaps. Yeah. Or just have uh, Order of the Spear, which is the main army. Yeah, but it is. It will be interesting to see what, where they go with all of this. Yeah, there's so many places to 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 base your army, and I'll I'll love to see how they are gonna fit it all together. If it's just gonna be like it's it's the old world again, and you can play wherever you want to, or if it's gonna be more focused. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I do hope, though, in the the nature of the border princes, I hope that there is a way to take kind of like your vanilla human army and change it to have a theme, some sort of eclectic thing, whether that's an artillery train, whether it's mariners, whether it's exiled barons, whether it's uh, robber kings, and whatever it is. Or, yeah. or Sigmarite, Sigmarite Crusades. Yeah. yeah. They had fortresses just made up of uh, Sigmarite loyals and monks. The Cenobites was the old the thing. Yeah. Citadel with... Yeah. There's so many. I'm just lost in the map currently. There's about as many dwarf holes in on this map as it is in the one in the Dwarven Army book. <laughs> I was getting a little bit greedy. I mean, they give us all this lovely thing about what's going on in the Border Princes, and I couldn't help but look just north of there into the Black Mountains at my beloved Karakhan and uh, seeing what's going on there. And I see that there's a nice Orky tribe logo just to the east of that. And I've been I've been fishing for a good Orc tribe to paint mine to be good enemies to my dwarves. And also that conspicuously empty spot around Zolan Vissenland kind of area with nothing labeled there. So I got my little hopes up thinking that perhaps that subsummation of Zolland, Zudenland into Vissenland and any conflicts that might arise, I was hoping maybe that was going to be like a little mini conflict area. We're actually going to get how that was resolved, maybe. And a little part of me thought that we don't exactly know when that subsummation happened. But we were told that following the fall of Zoland in the early 1700s, that quote unquote centuries later, the Runefang was recovered. 
And this is centuries later. So I was wondering if maybe there's going to be that quest into the... Yeah, I haven't... There's a, there's a Black Library book that... Uh... That is about them finding the Solon Rune Fang. Yeah, it's, I think it, I think it is just Rune Fang quite aptly named. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I haven't read it. I, I need to pick it up and see uh, if it gives any clarity. I was I have read it, but not for a while. And I was trying to I was wrecking my brain, thinking, did you mention what date it was? Not that they have to be held to it, but I was wondering if I knew. And I can't think that it actually mentions the year. Having been reading through the the Solon fluff for a few days now. Uh, there's nothing on the internet that says it was this and th- this or that date, but that doesn't mean it's not mentioned in the books. Just that it, it isn't on the internet. Yeah, look at it. It's just this empty space in the middle of nowhere. No labels, no shields, no nothing. It is the the place where all of the Mordheim, no, no, not Mordheim. That was Basilia. That's way no- north. Uh, all of the Blood Bowl games take place. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That's why they don't get affected by the rest of the politics in the old world. Of course. In a field in the middle of nowhere. The thing with this whole time period, it's just like a lot of cool shit going down, but no one knows the details of it or exactly when it happened. Yeah. Well, it could make it easy for them if they actually do make it lead up in the end to the Great War Against Chaos and just have to include three high elves. So if if we know that the Great War happens roughly a hundred years after timeline then the question is uh, will the the space of a hundred years be covered in the first release as he says hopefully first of however many releases of the old world or whether there will be things like storm of chaos and stuff like that 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 come out to add to it to move the story forward a little bit i think it will take at least a couple of years i think draw it out a bit yeah I'm thinking if they go go the way they did with the black books for the heresy, they could have a focus. This is pretty much year one. This battle or these battles, and then they have then they move the story on gradually with the books instead, or just change uh, the battlefield location. If they have one or two books for the old world, and then have one book for the invasion of Ulthorn. You know, I think what would be really cool if we, we're looking at this map and we've got all these lovely shields all over Britonia and the Empire, and we know that during the time of Three Emperors, it's a very territorial fighting going on. Might we see the return of Mighty Empire's tiles? So can have a go at playing out the taking of territory, the ceding of territory, especially if Border Princes is now involved. It Might does do the setting incredibly well, and they do have these systems for for other games like Necromunda. Um, I mean, I would love them to. I think it would be a great idea. But I'm not sure if there would be uh, like actual tiles, though. I think they might try something new. Or it would be like a good uh, uh, nostalgia thing. People would go crazy for it. Uh, they're, they're pretty good at churning out. The, the tiles, when they came out, if you remember, you had your sprue, and there was something like four hexes on a sprue. And though the plastic involved in that was no greater than the cities of death, build it yourself terrain things. And uh, the, the advances in how much stuff they can fit on a sprue these days versus the amount of plastic there is. I wonder if it would make them money just selling it as a generic map setting. So, Because in, in Age of Sigma, I know nothing about Age of Sigma, but I figure that in Age of Sigma, there must be geographical features that people fight over. It could be a cross-system thing. They are currently running a map-based campaign in the local store where I live for Age of Sigmar. 
have they set up uh, multiple bubble machines? They have uh, <laughs> multiple realms on the map, yes. But yeah. I reckon they could equally e- easily do it with a physical representation. And uh, well, all of the uh, map uh, tiles, uh, when well, when they had a, you could put a castle on them, you could put an orc fortress or a orc uh, or a hearthstone or whatever. That could be quite easily just expanded to include whatever you wanted or themed for an army, and that could probably sell to everyone that's interested in. So instead of having, uh, so your castles, your great trees and everything like that, they could have whatever uh, sci-fi stuff is in Age of Sigmar that identifies the the locations and everything, because each tile had a little hole in the middle that you could just plug something in, or it's a flag, just claim ownership of that hex and very often you'd put your castle in the middle of that hex and the castle would have a little hole in it so that when you put the flag on you're claiming the castle which is on the hex yeah and wouldn't you if you were playing say wood elves wouldn't you rather have a fancy tree than the generic empire fortress yeah yeah and you could back then uh, when uh, warhammer total war wasn't out then when that was going on and since then, we've gotten a little taster of what might be achieved with, it's kind of, I can't remember the exact wording they use, but it's kind of like ley lines where you've got your your realm that the elves have taken over and they draw a direct line. Oh, what's it called? It's where they use the, the woodland spirits or whatever to, to connect from one place to another and they form... The a world country. roots. That's the one. And you could easily plot that on a Mighty Empires thing by connecting your green flags and allowing them greater transportation between zones and things like that. Yeah. Why not? It would be... A, I think we all would just want to have a fancy map. It, it's at least well, that's how it seems. Yeah. Speaking of maps, Jens, there is a castle yep. There is a castle Solan spade mm. in the Forest of Gloom. You could put your army there. It's done. <laughs> seems like they have an exiled noble from Soland there as well. That means I'm on the right track with my army. Now we just need halflings. That can be arranged. Yeah, but to sum it up, I think we all are excited for this and we just want more information. And it is a bit, a bit, just a bit. I'm just uh, making this point here. It's a bit frustrating, but also really, really nice to have these little nuggets of uh, lore and uh, of how it is going with the project just dripped every now and then because there haven't been a lot of them but every single one has just uh, fired up the hobby spirit and the hobby talk in the community i agree yeah it's like every one of these they do i'm like okay cool i'm already sold give it to me and then they release something else like okay you sold it already <laughs> give it to me it's just uh, you know. just more and more awesome stuff and i just can't wait for it to come out i had that i thought hmm maybe i should make a Marienburg themed force and then hmm, maybe I should make uh, Bretonia an army and then hmm, maybe I should make a Sigmarite Crusade knight army for the border princes yeah so speaking of making lists should we move on to another topic oh yeah, yeah. so Luke you pitched this one so would you like to uh... yeah okay alright so when uh, when they kindly invited me to come onto the podcast I thought what the hell can I talk about and so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do something based on something that happened to me very recently. So about two weeks ago, I actually had a game of Warhammer, which was very nice. And it was my first game in 
years. And uh, I have been painting my armies during these uncertain times, trademark. So I actually have painted armies now. So I put it to a vote, and which army should I do? Okay, fine, I'm going to take my Norn army, my Empire army. And I am very, very deeply invested in the fluff. More than winning, more than the actual competitive edge, I just want to convey the story the meaning, what's going on here, and I just want things to look really cool. So, I played my game, and I lost spectacularly. I had a lovely time, but I lost completely. And I got to thinking, I was thinking, right, there's a mix of terrible luck, a couple of bad decisions on my part, but is there anything going on in my list that I could change? That the same list, just make it a little bit different, that could actually make it do better in the game. But then when I started thinking of changes, I started thinking, actually, I don't want that to change because that makes it less cool for me. And there's a particular unit that I can give you as an example of how it could be changed, if, if at all, in order to improve it. But I didn't. And to be clear, we were playing 7th Ed. And the following problem doesn't exactly apply to 8th Ed, where you can uh, use more ranks in, in shooting and combat and stuff. But in this army, I put two units of 20 handgunners with full command because awesome. it's been scientifically proven that the only, what's cooler than a big rank of gunners is two or more ranks of gunners with a big flag. <laughs> cool, right? So I needed to include those. Those were the, those were the important, on, to, on top of my steam tanks, which I, I included three because eh, there you go. So I've got my two units of handgunners up the front. Now I've paid for 20 gunners and a command group. One was towards the left-hand side, one was towards the right-hand side. Over on the right-hand side, that increased number of models and the rank and the fact that they had uh, a banner and, and a musician actually won uh, a couple of fights. One outright and one uh, based on a tie where I had a musician and the attacker did not. So they actually made their points, even though that rear rank just suffered a couple of wounds, didn't really do much, they weren't doing any shooting. They actually, they won the day because of this extra cool factor that I gave them. But over on the left-hand side, the other unit of handgunners, they managed to shoot every single turn of the game, which is quite good, because I went second to begin with. But that means that that rear rank of gunners that I paid the points for, just to look cool, did nothing in the entire game. It was just that front rank doing the shooting. Now, I could have done two lines of 10, uh, plus or minus the flag. You've got to, have, got to love a flag, but I don't strictly need it. But having two lines of 10 means I would double my output and possibly get more out of the unit in the game for the same points. But I don't think it looks as cool. I like having that great big block of gunners. So, yeah, when me and my opponent were having that kind of post-game analysis, oh, I could have done this, could have done that, da 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 I was like, most of the changes I came up with to make it a better list, while not straying too far from my fluff, made the army less cool in my eyes. So my question is, how much, if at all, should you sacrifice the cool factor or the fluff factor when you're writing an army list in order to make that army do better in the game yeah it's hard i, I think that uh like your ideal list never survives their first combat there's always some changes you like to make um 
I mean, if if you would like reduce the amount of guys and maybe make the rear ranks detachment or some or something, you still have like the same army, just a different configuration. Although it is really cool with tw twenty guys in one unit. Oh, are you telling me? Yeah, uh, kind of have the same with my my Cossars. I usually run them in like two ranks of eight, but they can actually fight in close combat, uh, and I usually put like a close combat character in there, so it's a bit different. Uh, dwarves can also like do two ranks to have them as a combat, but it is tricky with Empire because they they can't really fight. There's strength three with no armor, right? No shields. Yeah, no shields, no armor, just hand weapons on the handgunners and the handgun. Just massive balls. Yeah. The ones. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I say like uh, definitely keep the the, the like main use of handgunners. So I'd say maybe make detachments but it, like as a general thing of how much you should change your list i think it's it's fine to change it if you keep the, the main theme and uh definitely if you have like a couple of units that are the the, the focal point of your theme that's tough yeah, if you're gonna do a null army and not do giant blocks of handgunners why are you doing a null army yeah it's the rules yeah that's uh that's why i like i fell out of love with 40k because when I was playing in 5th edition this problem happened to me like I started up making these really fluffy lists and then when I was thinking of like a new army project I was like okay I want to have this theme but then I thought like oh yeah but actually that support unit isn't really that great and I could put something better in there and then I could change this and this and that and then oh yeah I could change this in like the the main unit of my theme I could just change that that and that and that and then actually I can just change them out and then I realized like I just lost the, the whole theme of my army. What's the point of even making this army if it's just supposed to be like this this meta army that I don't even like? And then I thought that's kind of what the game had become. Just people making meta armies. So that's why I kind of stopped playing. The problem is uh, more prevalent with like 7th edition or 8th edition where you actually have optimal list if you're playing 6th edition. I mean, I don't think there's any bad units in the Empire book in 6th edition, you can just like point at a page and say, I'm going to take all spearmen and it will do fine. It won't be worthless. But if you're rocking up at like an 8th edition tournament with just spearmen, you're going to have a bad time. If it's uh, like an 8th edition, there's definitely more of a, this unit is better than that unit statistically. So there's no point in taking the worst unit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think most things work yeah, in 6th yeah. No, yeah, this is that. Most things work. Yeah. Like I think like a mix always works better in sixth edition as well. You wanna have like multiple tools in your toolbox, but the main tool should be your your themey tool. I mean one one unit that I was considering taking, but I just one, I didn't have the points remaining, and two, uh, I don't know. I've got a unit of thirty Forge World Norn Ironsides in Oof. ranks of fifteen. Front rank all kneeling, rear rank all standing, aiming guns forwards, and looking badass. But again, that's <laughs> it looks amazing, but that's going to be, in, in if I do it in those two ranks of 15, that's going to be 15 shots. Those those other guys yeah. to look cool and die. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely do the, the detachments. Yeah. So what do you think? Like a unit of 10 with two fives either side? Yeah. Because then it just looks like the, the rear rank has formed up on the sides to be able to fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's an idea. You could even put them, like, if you have a hill, 
you could put the detachment behind on the hill and the main unit in front, and they can yeah, that's nice. that's defensive nice. fire. But can I still have my flag? That's the very important yeah, thing. Yeah, 10-man yeah, unit can have a flag. Gotta have my flag. And the, the champion can have upgrades as well? Yep, repeater handgun is my uh, thing of choice, but if it comes to it, I'll go for the Hawkman long rifle. If if I'm feeling lucky, I want to take a couple of pot shots at an enemy character. With your dice luck? Oh, yeah, no, I had a terrible time. So <laughs> uh, I spent my, my whole lockdown painting an army. So you've got that usual uh, superstition of, oh, this is the unit you've just painted. It's going to do bad again. <laughs> well, well, that was my entire army. And uh, yeah, it didn't do very good at all. Not one bit. My, uh, my grandmaster uh, lost in single combat to a Beastman unit champion and then <laughs> fell on the table. Um... My warrior priest didn't land a blow before his, uh, getting just run over by uh, gores and gores. My wonderful old reliable steam tank, its hellblaster blew up. On the front of it, uh, no, no, seriously, it's just uh, a litany of of bad luck. I made a couple of stupid tactical decisions, fair enough. But uh, what I was saying to my opponent, I was like, if you sink the points into a decent unit, sometimes you can have a little bit of bad luck, or you can make a stupid decision, and just the quality of the thing you've put on the table can kind of soak it for a turn or two. But Oh man, I, I had such bad luck the whole game. I had a lovely time, but just terrible luck the whole the whole game. Yeah, sounds like my usual dice luck. I never. I think in in most of the games we played in on the in the inside the podcast, it's been uh, I'm trying to cast a spell and my mage miscasts and loses the ability to cast more spells. <laughs> no fun for you. When it happens more than once, it's uh, a, th a trend more than <laughs> bad luck. <laughs> but I did manage to stab Jens's uh, knights with uh, the dagger she was carrying. Yeah, that was uh, that was bad on my part. Bad dice stuck on my part. I can't do two of saves. Yeah, they draw the close combat. Your knights and my mage. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, they, I personally rather like a themed list over an optimized list. They usually look better on the table as well. Yeah, and if you're playing your friends, I mean, I, no one wants to lose horribly every time they play. But if, if you're playing someone who has a themed list and they lose every time, maybe tone down your own list and uh, do something cool instead of just choosing the optimal thing. Yeah, yeah tournament armies are quite a different beast. Yeah. I can't get over it. So, you know, when people are like really into the tournament scene, they'll just go online, look up the army list of the thing that won, and just turn it into a shopping list. So where's the fun in that? You're supposed to, you know, sit home and, and think, okay, what's what's going in my army? Uh, and if you if you're me, you're thinking, where in the world are these people from? What year is it? <laughs> what access to all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I've looked up a 2005 uh, tournament list for Hales, uh, two, two, 2250 point list. And it's an archmage, a level four archmage, a commander on bartered steed. Then you have two units of twenty spirals, two units of archers, two units of silver helms, one unit of shadow warriors, one unit of dragon princes, two chariots, two eagles, and two bolt throwers. Um, that sounds like a good army, though, doesn't it? Not, uh, not 
just you know performance but it sounds like one that's going to look cool on the table yeah it went uh, 6-0 in that tournament as well yeah well i mean it doesn't sound like horrible list like it's not like a spam of the cannons or anything so it sounds like a balanced list it's everything is much matched up but as tournament lists go they were gonna say this isn't as bad as some that are just that we see later in later editions and later on in sixth edition as well when you have all eggs one basket and uh, yeah putting the uh, white lion special characters with phoenix guard and the phoenix guard special character with your white lion yeah that, that kind of thing yeah well, i think it's pretty easy to to make theme lists in in sixth edition at least it seems like whenever i try to make like an army by a theme it's not never really a weak army like my dwarves with no gunpowder it's not really a weakness and my kiss of army lacks loads of things but uh way more about playing the, the actual game in 6th edition than depending on your strong list. Yeah. While, while I've got you guys as a resource, one of my uh, next games that I might be having, we're thinking off the back of it being a bit jazzed up by actually getting a game of Warhammer, thinking of doing an escalation campaign. So starting off with like 750,000 points and then each time we play maybe throwing in an extra two or 300 points worth of stuff whether it's in upgrades or additional units, as the thing goes on until you get to a big army size. And I thought it would be a fantastic opportunity for me to use my Karak and Dwarves. And I am obsessed with Rangers. Love them. I just, I just love Rangers. That's my cool unit for the army. So I was just quickly working out what I could get, 750 points worth of uh, Dwarfy Rangers. And it was a unit of Ranger Quarrelers, unit of Warriors, another unit of quarrelers, and a thane with a crossbow and with the rune of I get to go with scouts. And the idea was that I set up my little quarrelers and warriors to, to be a little little anvil and then somehow position my rangers. And I think points-wise I managed to fit in uh, 15 rangers, which would be added to the, the thane, so, you know, make up the ranks or whatever. But put them somewhere on the board that can they could cause some trouble but the thing was for the scout rule which i read and reread it said it has to be uh more than 10 inches away from an enemy and out of sight of the enemy so i'm sitting yeah. with my move or shoot crossbows out of sight of something and i thought oh, i really want to use rangers because i just think they're so cool and i keep on making rangers but i don't actually know how to use them effectively any tips so well, yeah, you got your uh, what is it, ninety degree arc line of sight. Yeah. So you, if you deploy on the flank or behind an enemy unit, that's out of sight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You do have to deploy behind cover, though. I think it does say yeah in in the thing it says uh, it's. Uh, I think that it's saying don't take the piss without saying don't take the piss. It's saying like oh, if these are scouts, they're supposed to be sneaking around ahead. So it wants you to put them in some soft cover or some hard cover or something that denotes that these guys are sneaky, sneaky uh, ahead of them. I think it's only like chameleon skinks and way watchers say specifically that they can deploy in the open. Right. Uh, otherwise, you'll have to deploy either in cover or behind cover. Yeah, but like uh, in a fort or something at a, on a flank, covering pretty much the whole table. So, uh, crossbow. I, I've been using rangers quite a lot with my dwarves. And uh, it is the, the previous book, though, but they should not be that different. Um, so I started using them with crossbows, 
and they shot their crow. Either like I deployed them in a forest and they shot once or twice in a game and didn't do that much, or I just deployed them in my deployment zone after deployment and used their crossbows, but then they were basically just crossbowmen, but way more expensive. And then I started using my rangers without crossbows and scouting them, and they were great because then there's suddenly like a massive threat to their flanks because they're dwarf warriors with gray weapons and they just start hitting. So they the enemy has to go like up to them to be able to see them, to charge them. They can't charge them straight away. So either they come up so that you can charge them or they just have to stay away from the forests altogether. And you can, uh, you can give them throwing axes, eh? And can you stand and shoot with a throwing axe? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a... Something, eh? Try and take a couple of them out on the charge. And also, like, if you want to use them for fighting, you can only use them, like, in a four or five wide formation. So there's no real point in giving them crossbows. At least in the the previous book, uh, crossbows are, like, seven points per head. That's super expensive for not a lot of use. So, uh, yeah, I started just using them as... Cool factor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still have the crossbows on the models. It's just that they... They've slung them because they're in for a fight now. Yeah. Out there, they would just fire a couple of sticks, leave that to the artillery. And uh, I mean, it's a pretty cool factor as well to just come rushing out of some woods that they've been hiding and to chop the flanks of the enemy. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I actually read that in like uh, the White Dwarf when this dwarf book was being released, when they were explaining like uh, um, the Rangers and that they are like a regiment and not skirmishers to a lot of other scouts and they were saying that like it's a huge advantage that they they are a regiment and they have combat like capability and it's like a very big threat and i never really i never really thought of them as a combat unit i always thought of them as a range unit that you can deploy and maybe shoot the the war machines or shoot something in the side but it's just horribly inefficient to try and shoot to kill something in fantasy unless you're like a a stone thrower or a cannon or something just the I ended up just charging stuff anyway. Even though they had crossbows, I just charged war machines and stuff just to finish them off. Yeah, that's my, my two cents on rangers. What I've done in, in my army, because uh, my, my, my dwarves were my yearly army last year, and uh, like I said, I love me some rangers, so I've done a lot of them. Uh, the first unit of rangers I did, I decided that I wanted an entirely cloaked, you know, well, I've been wearing cloaks, not like Klingon cloaking, an entirely cloaked unit of rangers and luckily i was working for gw at the time and had a very very generous discount on buying toys and when you have a unit of warriors where each sprue of dwarfs comes with one cloak and you have a unit of quarrelers where each sprue comes with one cloak and i want 20 of them i bought a lot of dwarfs (laughs) and snipped off so that i could have my entirely cloaked unit so i've got them and uh, so I've, I've done them nicely in their little uh, foresty green colors. But then what I've done is I've done myself a messing with your head psychology unit of rangers. They are just rangers, but I've made them look way more important with scenic bases and converted models and different coloring and everything like that. So I'm like, yeah, you could. You could go for my hammers. You could go for my iron breakers if you wanted to, but you're forgetting these guys over here. <laughs> these aren't just rangers. These are Snorri Stonestriders, horned-helmed hunters, scourge of the Black Mountains. 
<laughs> and obviously, I know that they're just, they're just rangers, but they're my psychology unit to try and psych people out. <laughs> nice. Distraction Carnifex rangers. Exactly. That's the one. Yeah, rangers are really cool. It's like a... I think it was it's in this book as well. Like the you could have like an overground defense uh, special army. Uh, so I guess that's the theme of your army that you're going for. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you could take more rangers than that, or if they were just warriors. I think rangers were zero to one in sixth and seventh, but they were anything you like in eighth. Yeah, I think they're rare in uh, in eighth actually. Oh, yeah? oh okay. Uh, but they have, uh, I think they have throwing axes and crossbows base. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a really cool army. Um, trying to like how you could get some more like rangers because they're they're only zero to one in the the six point five book as well, right? So say again. They're 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 a zero to one choice in the six point five oh, yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, could use the the Strollers rune to get some other warriors up there. Some gray weapon warriors. It's the the slower rangers. Up. Yeah. I just got lost in listening to you guys talking and building a uh, the crusade list that was in the White Dwarf or something, wasn't it? Or, or a web supplement for 6th edition. When the, the Sigmarit crusade, so to speak, where you can choose your knightly order you want to run and inner circle knights and uh, grandmasters and all of that. Like a temporary you guys crusade. Have, uh, do you guys have a favorite knightly order? White Wolves all the way. Blazing Sun. Love the the Black Guard of Moor, the, their names. Yeah. For me, it's, it's Knight's Griffin. Every time, Knight's Griffin. Gotta love him. Nah, White Wolf, <laughs> man. Armors all the way. Listen, if Magnus makes a unit of knights, you know it's good. <laughs> I'm really, really liking all of the knightly orders they actually made rules for. Yes, there was that bit, wasn't there, where you could take uh, boons and... Uh, negatives, whatever they called the negatives, uh, to customize knightly orders. So, like some yeah, of them that was cool. strong, but they, uh, which means they would pursue all the time, or they'd have to declare a challenge and stuff. And then you had other ones which had other psychological effects, didn't they? Yeah. And then they have in the Crusader army list, they have Knights of the Blazing Sun, Reichsguard Knights, Knights Panther, Knights of the Twin Tailed Orb, Black Knights of Moor. There they so- are. Sons of Manan and the Knights Griffin. Although oh. I, I've gone for the Knights Griffin color scheme that came a little bit later. In in sixth, there, there was some greens and stuff going on, sort of blackish greens. But I've gone for uh, using the contrast paint, Flesh Terror's Red, over metallic to get that nice kind of plummy red, purpley red kind of color for, for the barding. Nice. So for your uh, non army, yeah. The thing that I find really interesting with Gnome is uh, not the gunpowder, but the fact that they are like one of the most pious Sigmarite cities in that part. So have you got that in your, your theme as well? So I have an embarrassingly large number of flagellants. Nice. Uh, none of which are painted, but I've got so many. I have got more flagellants than are allowed in an Empire army. Uh, so Yes, they are going to be featuring at some point. And I've got a load of warrior priests. Again, more warrior priests than I could actually field in an army. The one thing I am lacking, and I am kicking myself, is the plastic war altar of Sigma. I'm a big fan of that uh, plastic war altar. And all it is, is a, a hurricanum 
with one extra sprue. That's all it is. That single little sprue, which allows you to build a Hurricanum as a war altar, and yet uh, going on eBay for hundreds of pounds to, to yeah. get a war altar. Not, I'm not over keen on the metal one. You can pick up the metal one fairly easily, but oh man, I wish I'd have picked up a plastic war altar back in the day. Yeah, it's a bit more chunky than the uh, the old metal one. Yeah, the metal one, it's like, it's nice and everything, but the griffin is, is just like, he's just come first place in the sports day. <laughs> he's like, yeah, with his, with his arms up in the air. Speaking of, I just found it on eBay for currently one euro 15 cent. Yeah, bid. So that's that's reasonable. I feel for the sprue. <laughs> no, whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold up, hold up! <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! You can't just. <laughs> is there somewhere you can pay? No, don't do this to me. Is it? Is it a a buy it now? I'm sorry if I'm completely derailing the podcast. Is that a buy it now or a bid or what? It's uh, it actually has a buy it now button. And uh, what four figure sum is the buy it now button? No idea. Just, you can check the link. So people, oh. people that are listening. Oh, we'll find this exhilarating when we are just Chris, browsing Chris, eBay. You have let me down. This is one one euro fifty per bit. Yes. And if you actually click on the drop down, most of the bits are out of stock. Ah. Why would you do this to me? My 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 blood is pumping through my body right now. You <laughs> see, Chris, you haven't let go of your dark elf side yet. <laughs> <laughs> But so it, it is a glorious kit. It's really good looking, and it, yeah. it uh, it's sad that they couldn't find a use for it in Age of Sigmar, so it would still be produced. And when you see you see, there's some wonderful people on the Facebook groups, and I found a lot of people doing some really good square base hobby on Instagram. Uh, and there are people that have just taken that Griffin. They've made themselves a Hurricanum and had a great time with that. But they've just taken this Griffin and turned him into a statue to have on a on a little plinth on their battlefield. And it's like, oh man, that's, that's a really cool statue and I'm really happy for you. But I also hate you a little bit. That's a good idea. Maybe if, uh, we can find uh, one for the podcast and just make it into a statue. <laughs> you, you want to see my, my statue? <laughs> At the at the oh, I want to see we, we ran. This guy was just using his uh, plastic griffin as a his marker on the map. <laughs> like, I'm so happy for you. So happy for you. <laughs> but this this kit is like the uh, Loden Skycutter for the Hiles, which is a great kit for bits. It's an awful design, awful model. I'm going to go on record saying that's an awful model because why would you hook up a small boat to a bird? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was When that came out, every now and then, so Facebook Memories is really good at reminding me of things that annoyed me years ago. And one of the things that annoyed me is, is when the Loth and Skycutter came out, I'm, I'm very interested in the fluff, in the timeline. And it's like, okay, I understand if things go forwards, you know, technology moves forwards, we're going to get new things and everything. But, and if any of our listeners are High Elf fans, I would love to hear about it. But I poured through the 8th Ed High Elf book to find uh, if and when they would in the timeline write down for me when this Lothan Skycutter, this game-changing aerial attack craft was invented was it around during the war of vengeance that would have given them a decided advantage was it uh, uh, after that 
Because, you know, just when this thing fits in is going to determine, you know, how powerful the elves are at any given time. But no, I couldn't find a single point where it says where this thing is supposed to fit in. No, it just uh, appeared one day and they just had them. Did they ever uh, explain the, the, the Empire demographs as well? Well, don't. No. I mean, I mean they, they're obviously really cool looking models, but I I don't include them in my army. I have bought a number of bits and i even bought the kit to take out some of the lovely banners and the feathers and the shields and everything to put on knight's griffin but uh to me it just it's the kind of thing that somebody would have written down before now you know in like <laughs> talking about the history the annals of the imperial army and everything like that you'd think someone would have mentioned demigriffs before yeah. now. When, when that's it's a remarkable thing. When did they when did they suddenly turn up? I don't begrudge anyone putting them in their army because obviously they're a legit part of the army and everyone's got their own hobby and everything like that. Just not for me. I've got a I've got a bit of a line where in in you've got a game where I've got giants and dragons and orcs and everything, but that's a little too much. It's a little too much that one for me, so I don't include those. I I've been now. I'm look, stuck at looking at the sky cutter again, so I'm going to mention it. Uh, this kit would have been so good for so many things. You can get a small scenery piece with a boat, like if you put it on not a ship or just in a water feature or something. You get rangers with a lighter version of the ball thrower. You get uh, uh, essentially a great eagle that wasn't available after seventh edition or something for when they stopped selling the metals for Hiles, and you get a commander for your Seaguard army. It's really a great kit, but why is there a small boat that's been towed by a bird? Uh, it's, it's the correct way around to do it if you had a very large boat being pulled by a very small bird. I don't think it would do as well. Can have more birds. That is true. Mm. Could have two birds and have it uh, just make no oh. sense. And one stone. Yeah. That would be a dwarven the question, thing. The question is, where would they grip it? It's not a, it's not a question of weight ratio or anything. <laughs> Depending on how you build the bird, it, the bird can also have a hat. Oh, sold. There you go. Uh, ditch my dwarves. Jump over to the elf side. But it is, it is in for me at least, I, if people want to use this, they can. It's not up to me. As we said, their hobby and all of that. But for me, I just look at this and see there's so many good bits. It's like buying a bits box. Yeah. And of course, they were discontinued before I realized that. All right. Yeah, but what were we actually talking about? It was the units or design of an army over effectiveness of an army, pretty much. Yeah, so it's sacrificing a cool factor or a fluff factor to make the army do more in a game. Yeah, like the Seaguard list. That's the actual way of playing Seaguard units effect effectively. Because if you use a Seaguard list, a Seaguard unit in a regular high elf army, you might want to use it as archers, which means you'll put it in a long line. And the long line makes no sense if you actually get charged because there was a melee unit. You want to march them up a bit, a bit every turn to make uh, to capture part of the board. But then you can't shoot. Or you may have four elves being able to shoot with the penalty for movement. And for that, they pay... They cost more than the equivalent of the unique or separate units of spearmen or archers. Yeah. 
So if you want to play them, you have to make the choice of having a cool-looking unit on the board that won't work as effective in-game, but you have the, well, you have the cool-looking unit. I mean, call me crazy, I would always go for the cool-looking unit that doesn't do as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, think uh, they're a good unit for, like, if you're taking them to a tournament or something where you don't know what you're going to face. It's good to have that kind of multi-purpose unit, that one game, they'll be like an actual combat unit. Or another game, they'll just be able to like be a firebase. Yeah, they're flexible enough to to be able to switch, and they're not a, a bad unit. It's just not an optimal unit. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's that's the problem. This is the same problem with dwarf rangers. I mean, being good at two things means that you're going to be really pricey. Yes. Yeah, and the, the I think one of the things in the elven army is that they do directly compete with silver helms. Which is one of the greatest core units in the game. So you'd rate Silver Helms higher than Knightly Orders, would you? How many? Well, what? what uh, that depends on the list. But for the for the role they fill, Silver Helms are great. You can make an army of entirely of Silver Helms, pretty much. The only time I have actually, that I can remember anyway, written an army list to to try and win a game was when Seventh Ed was kind of not newly out but it was the new edition and the empire book just came out with the release of the new state troops and everything and uh, i found myself sitting there thumbing through the pages and i came up with uh, an entirely mounted quote unquote empire army where you would have three blocks of knights as your core each of whom has a character inside i believe it was a bsb a general and a warrior priest all mounted obviously and each of them the the balance of their magic items and everything gave each of those units some magic resistance of varying quality and then on the flanks you have two units of five pistoliers and then a flavor steam tank that you can decide to put either side to uh to, to aid where necessary so i was just writing this for fun and everything but like i said i don't really care too much about winning i was just thinking i wonder if i could write a list that did well my store manager decided to without telling me take that list buy the army and take it to a tournament and he actually did quite well in that tournament i think he said he came like third or fourth or something i can see that being a pretty good list in, in <laughs> yeah i mean fully mounted piles army Elves armies can be really savage as well. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely say, like, so Silverhelms and their army are better than Knightly Orders. Like, you, you can build around them more easily. Also, have to take the note of that they're faster than the Knightly Orders. Yeah, and more flexible with the choice of uh, weaponry and armor. Well, they have Lance and uh, Shield and Hell yeah, Armor. Yeah, you can still do Barded Warhorse or Unbarred Warhorse, stuff like that. Yeah, I think they are, well, the Elven Horse is faster, but then you have the reduced movement because they come with barded armor. So they are as fast as an unbarded Empire Horse. So they are one inch faster than the Empire Horses, right? Yeah, just uh, everything you can take around. Like their mages are better. They got good uh, missile support. They got dragons. Keep up with the horses. Elves are tough. When you write a list... Do you try and do something in every phase or not? When I wrote my list, I have, oh man, I had such a hard time picking 
not what to put in my list, but what not to put in my list. I've got so much stuff. And I think, oh, what, what do I have to leave out in order to make the points? And I completely skipped wizards. I had my priest, but he was really only there to make my angry rebel hate everybody. So with the whole magic phase, I, I had nothing to do, really. Uh, my little bound spell wasn't going to do anything. And I missed out on the magic phase. Do you try and have something to do in every phase? Or do you think it's cool to just skip a phase for your army in order to do more in the other phases? Um, personally, I play dwarfs and Kislev mostly. So I barely ever have a magic phase. But when I do, it's a lot of fun. So I like try to take the Animal of Doom for dwarfs. Even if it's not like the, the optimal choice, I usually take it because it's just fun too to do some some other things than just moving and shooting and barely moving uh so yeah definitely like when once you get to know your army try and expand and like the, the amount of things that you do in the game uh and with the elves now like i definitely wanted an army that can move more than the dwarves you can move infantry around and also use a lot more magic so i, I kind of picked those two faces to be the the main faces of this army. Yeah, I do that as well. Where I I do, I'm not doing everything with every army. I'm doing like this. This is my dwarf army. They're gonna just shoot and do combat. And then this is my empire army. They're gonna shoot and do combat and have some magic. And this is my woodland army. They're gonna shoot and have magic, but no close combat, etc., etc. But you're playing the revenue hordes, woodlands, aren't you? Yes. No fancy new book for me. It's the old stuff. What about you, Chris? Do you like to have something in every phase, or do you skip one? I try to, since I mainly play Hiles these days, I'm trying to build a more rounded list because it fits the theme of the army for me. From fluff, fluff yeah, I'm so great with, uh, with that, doing everything well. And, well, maybe just limiting the amounts of different units. Maybe not take a... Uh, White Lions unit if I don't take a character that would have a White Lions bodyguard. That's how I limit it more. Which is I think definitely Hiles and uh, the Empire can definitely have a bit of everything in their army and do everything. So very well-rounded. Do you, do, you, uh, do you build armies for specific purposes, Luke? With your, with your Empire, like, do you build different army lists that can do different things? or just it, all it, may surprise you. it may surprise you to learn that my Norn army favors the shooting phase. I do, I do like making things go bang. And so uh, what I do is I'll, I'll sink all these points. When, when my opponent agreed to a 3,000-point game, I thought, right, that's my three rare choices. Steam tanks, done. <laughs> so I spent all this time customizing my steam tanks, making myself a Fon Seppel and Old Reliable and a Conqueror. So there you go. That's my rare, rare choices done. And that's a third of my points on three models. It's all right. Okay. Uh, I've got to have my giant units of gunners, half of whom won't fire a shot in the game. Brilliant. So there's that taken up. So, so I've got to have a cannon. So I had my cannon. Uh, and I, I, if you're going to have a cannon, you've got to have a mortar. So I took a mortar. And I thought, well, yep, yeah, I've got another special choice kicking around there, so I'll chuck in another mortar. So, I had... <laughs> and then I started thinking, right, I've got lots of things going bang. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll, I might as well have some close combat. So I chucked in a unit of twenty halberdiers. Well, obviously they need a detachment of ten gunners. Oh, <laughs> I was filling up all these things. So, oh, look at all these guns, guns and feathers and flags. It's brilliant. And then I suddenly thought, yeah, if I get in a fight, and spoiler alert, I got in a fight and failed horribly, 
I thought I'm just going to be in such trouble if I get in a fight. So my grand plan was to do good in combat and shooting. So that's why I tried to have a big old unit of militia as kind of like a characterful speed bump between the enemy and myself, but putting a warrior priest in there so that their attacks are going to get hatred, at least. That was the idea. And a unit of great swords and some halberdiers to just try and have a little bit of barrier. Uh, and then my, my grand idea was I was going to have this unit of knights with a grand master, and his job was going to be to Pac-Man its way down the side of the uh, the enemy army and i had this wonderful idea that they were all going to run away and everything was going to be great and there'd be cheers all around but yeah like i said he lost in single combat to a, a unit champion and then ran off the world so yeah I, I, that's why i'm sitting i think to myself yes i made some mistakes but if i were to do the same game with the same list knowing what my mistakes were, even like you say, uh, doing detachments instead. Instead of having one detachment of 10 gunners, I would have been so much better having two detachments of five gunners and little things like that. I wonder if I can put my eggs in the shooting phase and and mop up with the combat. That's the, That was my idea. Yeah, yeah it's definitely possible. Just uh, how you go about doing it. Definitely. And speaking of that, that is also how I theme, a bit how I theme my army, depending on where they come from within Ulthorn. If I do my Kalidor army, there will be dragon princes and maybe even a prince on a dragon. If I do a Hoeth force, obviously sword masters and more mages. There are ways of theming without theming. Mm -hmm. In the extreme of having three steam tanks and not a fourth. Well, if I had a fourth rear slot, I'd have been all over it. <laughs> what about flagellants? Uh, so, yeah, no, I get it. So that, that's my thing, right? Uh, I can, I can do it if, if it was a bigger army. But I'd be looking, it's like picking which one of your children to kill in order to <laughs> unit of flagellants, right? I'm sitting there with my three steam babies thinking which one of you is going to get the chomp in order to make room for a unit of flagellants. Isn't there just like eight steam tanks uh, left to the Empire? That's correct. So if you were play a game where you had nine rare slots with the take that Absolutely. Guarantee it. Okay. How about using themed steam tanks as unit fillers? Ooh. Did, uh, We're talking about like horde size units, which... Uh, just imagine fl flagellants dragging a steam tank into, into battle because it's yeah, like that, in your that fantastic bit of artwork. Do you remember that that artwork oh, yeah. where you've got like thousands That's of flagellants pulling towards the... Yeah, art. giant thing they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, did did any of the steam tanks die in that battle? Uh, we, I could have I could have conceded on the fourth or fifth turn, uh, but I decided to continue, and only because I decided to continue did one of my steam tanks eventually die, and it was the conqueror, arguably the most boring of the three. Uh, the the one that I really wanted to do more in the game was the von Seppel, uh, yes, which is. Uh, Go Take ahead. the conquer out for the next game. Put some flagellants in. They're pissed yeah. about the tanks being in the repair shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punish them. Have you any any of you actually used a Fonsepple in in a game before? And for the that's it. It's the one with the platform on top that has the engineer crew in there. Each no, of it, it looks like it has some fun rules. You're right. So what you get, uh, what in the 
the Warhammer Annual 2004, there was a thing called the Tinker Chart, which allowed you to customize what your tank was like by picking what weapon it would have or not have, and then you could gain some armor points. So after I had spent all this time building this buddy thing, I decided I'm, I'm going to have it in the game. And it sacrifices a front cannon and a turret to gain some hull points, but then you sink a bunch of points into having what's called a fighting platform on top, and that has a crew of engineers. One's got a blunderbuss, which is a flame template weapon, one's got a Hockman long rifle, one's got the repeater handgun, one of them has got a swingy ball on a chain, one of them's got a man catcher, and one of them's got essentially a big halberd that they can do. So they've, they've got a little bit of something they can do in range and in close combat. But I think I was way too timid in my game. I should have run that thing right forwards and started getting my uh, impact hits and everything like that, but I was a little bit too timid with it. But what we're really hearing here on this new podcast, Novo Lives Making Luke Buy More Steam Tanks, <laughs> is uh, that, that there should be a grand game of Steam Tank Demolition Derby written by yep. the eminent Graham McNeil. Yes, that would be great. Okay. And then you can build the uh, fighting pit that you can also reuse for a dino fight. I think having having a really big fighting pit, which is essentially Steam Tank Robot Wars, would be really good. How about building a robot for Robot Wars that looked like a steam tank? Oh, oh, saucy. Possibly not powered by steam, though. Let's see, why not? Well, it will probably fail more often than it works. As it should. (laughs) But at least we were talking about using one of the scenarios in this book, adapted to have high elves versus uh, dwarves in the Dambuster scenario with the dwarves attacking. <laughs> well, rep- replicating the battle for the uh, massive dam that dammed the river for... Uh, that later flooded when the dwarves obviously yeah. managed to bring down... talking about the whole of Zufbar when they, uh, they brought in no, the Black Wolf. Yeah. No, this is in uh, the uh, War of the Beard. Uh, they, right. they, when they drowned the city that uh, Mar- Marienburg is built upon. Oh, okay. That was so incredibly satisfying. Um, the, the dwarves built a dam for the elves so they could uh, farm the seabed beneath uh, the wasteland. And uh, obviously, they didn't really make, remain friends with the, the elves, so they decided to bring down the dam again with the, with the first large grudge troll. Yeah. Which I believe was flinging the debris from the destroyed citadels. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the Bar. Yeah. Um, after they invaded with their nasty sea worms. I was like, it, that old chapter was just the best when they were just like stealthily moving in this massive trebuchet that they had like burned lightly to just blacken the wood so it would be invisible in the night. And then you snuck it up and built it like super quiet. And then just hurl this massive rock, just glowing red with evil runes. And then they all just like died. It was just a suicide mission. It was the best. Uh, I need to, to sign off, actually. I got an early start tomorrow. But it was uh, fantastic having you on, Luke, and really nice chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I need and to uh, you other guys were all right as well. <laughs> well, as usual, right? <laughs> all right. I'm, uh, Taking off. Good night, guys. And goodbye.
Bye. I'm hitting the hay, so I'll uh, I'll talk to you guys another day. Great talking to you, Luke. Bye. Well, I reckon we could round this off then, because my head is not really cooperating, it seems. Okay. So uh, be sure to let everyone know that uh, if they want to let you know how I did on my guest spot, that they can write to the old world lives hate mail at gmail.com. Oh, did you actually spoil our secret mail now? That's just the one we sent to people when we message them. <laughs> oh, well, uh, we are going to round off this episode. It's been lovely to have a guest on, and it's been lovely to have you because we were talking about having you on right around the time uh, we had that interview in the spring. Yeah. And so and I don't take any excuse to just have a natter about Warhammer all evening. Yeah. So do we. So do we. <laughs> but uh, this is it for this episode. And, oh, right. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we have started uploading to YouTube as well. And if uh, anyone wants to just give us a what do they say? All of these uh, YouTubers is it like, follow, subscribe, like, follow, and subscribe. Hit that bell. Yeah, the bell might not be necessary given that this that is just another venue for the podcast to be uploaded to, and the fact that we have been planning to do some other content as well, which is why we may finally made the push to make the YouTube channel. But thank you for coming on, and no worries. I'll see everyone or. Talk to everyone in the next episode. Cool. All right. See you later.